From New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up Talk Radio is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they'd always dreamed of. Each week, Powered Up Talk Radio explores innovative ways to stay focused in a world that's experiencing dramatic changes. Find out who you are, discover your purpose, and challenge yourself to be all you can be, right here, right now. Here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. everybody. This is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Judith Bryles. And Judith Bryles has so many good books. She has a whole list of books that you're going to want to have in your library. And I do. But she has one book in particular. And you know, I read this book and it, it, it made me cry. It gave me hope. And it was one of my bathtub readings, Judith. And the bathtub reading books for me are those books that are just for me. You know, I have to read a lot for my, you know, business and my coaching um, aspects of my career. So I have highlighters, I have post-its, but every once in a while, there's a book cover that speaks to me. And I take it into the private sanctuary of my bathroom and I read it in my bathtub. And that that's where I read your book and I really enjoyed it. And it, and it helped me kind of make sense of my high conflict divorce. My mother and my two dogs all died. Like my, all of those things happened within an 18 month period of time. And I brought my father into my home and my ex-husband sued me. Like all of this stuff happened and it was a wave, a wave, a wave. I felt like I was standing in the ocean getting hit by a wave of trauma, negativity. And then I would have this compounded grief, like layers of it. I'd start to cry because I missed my mom. Then it would move to my dogs. Then it would be to my divorce. Then it would go to my foreclosure. Then it would go to having to lose one of my companies, build a new company. And I didn't understand what was happening to me. And I was so mired in the negativity. That's when I reached for your book. Oh, you know, I, I love that you shared that. And I, I, my, the book designer for the book, and it, for those of you who know anything about book designing, book designers don't read books. They, they, right. just, they just are designing the product on that. And Rebecca said, <clears throat> I couldn't put it down. I read it. And then she said, Do you, are you sure you want to reveal all this? Mm-hmm. And I said, at my age, it just doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, just let it all hang out. It was very cathartic for me to read, you know, and to be fair, the loss of your son drowning versus my two dogs and my mom, who was kind of the natural order of things because she was older and she Mm -hmm. was sick, is in no way comparable to your grief. But it mirrored my grief enough so that I could get a handle on things. And, you know, you have four different like kind of ahas, you know, that you've learned from this. And I Mm -hmm. held on to those ahas. I held on Mm -hmm. to those four. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, those gifts, but you know, let, let's 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 kiss on on yeah. this um, for just a sec, because that um, that I also I had another child die, a baby die, and and Billy's death was so different from Frank at nineteen, mm-hmm. where you have a week at nineteen, where it was much more almost really personal in depth that no one else can feel as horrible as I do. Versus when Frank died, the the teenager, the whole community was involved in it yeah. in various ways, and and so that reaction, you know, the 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 
grieving through it, the growing through it, the dealing with it was really different Where with both of them where when Billy died, I went, I became a hermit. I went underground. I listened to music. I painted. I did watercolors. I'd never done watercolors in my life. I, I, I just had to pull in until I could come back out mm-hmm. um, again. And then with, with Frank, we're on the front page of the paper. We're the first death of Labor Day weekend. It was my husband's birthday. I ended up taking on the state of California. Um, I mean, it's so much oh, happened yes. um, from that. But I also think it's important to say that when people have a loss, there is a grieving to it and that we all experience because of, I think the place that where we are, Mm -hmm. that we take it in. Our reactions is very different where for some, okay, well, it's the wave of life. I have, I've got to get going or for others, it's a Tusami that's going to take you out. And I, and I think it's all really important for everyone to understand that. And, and when I have friends, um, Sandy, when I have friends, dogs that have died or their beloved cat, I get their pain. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, it, it is their child. I get that. Yep. And, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be there and support them. Well, that's the one thing that I learned about, you know, I had a grief buddy, if you would call it. My friend, mm-hmm. she's the host of Childhood Cancer Talk Radio. As I was mm-hmm. walking through the last stages of my mom's life, she was walking through the last stages of her three-year-old's life from brain cancer. And we would we would talk about how the reaction of people to my mother dying. Oh, how old was she? 74. Oh, what did she have? Oh, breast cancer. Oh, it was five years. I'm so sorry. Then they would say to Janet, you know, when they'd find out it was a toddler and that it was brain cancer, because we're like, okay, they're both cancers. You know, we're both the same age. We're both from the same area of the country. We're actually both blonde hair, blue eye. We could be sisters. Mm-hmm. So we would kind of sit there, you know, and talk about, you know, she went to Vassar and Smith. I went to Northwestern. So we're, you know, we're, we're educated women, but we would sit down and go, okay, in a control group, we're two women sitting at the same luncheon. I talk about my mother, she talks about her child, and people knew what to say to me. But when a child dies, like yeah. that people, especially mothers are like, like, they have no words, there are no, like, culturally, we do not have that skill set in our community. Because first of all, child death is very rare in mm-hmm. our country versus in other countries. Mm-hmm. But I don't think people people don't even want to hear about it. They don't want to acknowledge it. It makes them uncomfortable. It's like when you were talking about Frank's death versus Billy's death, did Mm -hmm. you experience some of that same, just, it was absolutely different animals. And and it it breeds, totally breeds. Right, planet even. Yeah. Yeah. And here's what I was fascinated with when my baby died. um, People would say things that, um, well, you know, this is this was a claim. Well, at least you still have your daughters. Oh yeah. What a stupid ass thing to say. I mean, oh, literally. <laughs> the best one that, that Janet heard, and we were there, we were all dumbfounded. The day Jack died, yeah. um, one of the moms in our support group comes over and she starts crying and she's like, I'm so glad it wasn't my son. And I'm like, you know but uh, that's what i'm saying is people say horrifying things 
and they yeah. have no idea what they're saying. Like, just if you don't know what yeah. to say, keep your mouth shut and just hold something mm-hmm. in your hand or just sit there quietly. Yeah. Or, you know, you could even say, you know, I actually have within when God says no, what not to say. Right. Um, and that, that what you can earn, what can you say? Like, what, one of the things you can say is, you know, I'm an early bird. Judith, I'm just going to jump in here really quick because now is a great time to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor today is Best Fiends, and they've been with Powered Up for over a year, and I've been playing this game for over a year because it just takes the edge off. It's it's fast, it's fun, it's lively, it's peppy, the characters are cute, and when I'm just really frustrated with, you know, Trying to get anything done out here in Southern California is so hard. There's so much traffic. Everybody's back on the road. Everybody's running around like, you know, crazy people. And just to go to the simple post office the other day, I couldn't find a parking space. Then I finally get the parking space. There's a long line. Then there's only one teller at the, you know, or whatever they call them at the, you know, I'm trying to mail this letter. And I was so frustrated. And instead of like being impatient in line, I just whipped out my phone and I started playing a round of Best Fiends. And I've played over 300 levels. I've been playing it over a year. Whenever you're stuck somewhere, you know, stuck waiting, it's a great way to just enjoy that time. And I have been playing it a long time. I can connect with my family and friends who also play it. I can send them little gifts which is really nice. You know, I can send them something with just a little swipe of a, a a little button and I can send them a little bit of love, a little bit of attention. And those things are really important to me, especially when we can't get together. And Best Fiends always has something new. There's something new today, tomorrow, and every day after that. And there's literally thousands of levels to play and tons of cute characters to collect. You'll like it. The music is fun. It's not going to get on your nerves. You're not going to hear it when you go to sleep at night, you know, running through your head. And I never get tired of solving these puzzles because they're they're challenging, but they're not so challenging that you become frustrated. And with Best Fiends, the fun never ends. So don't blame me if you become slightly obsessed. And you can download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You'll be so glad you did. Sometimes I play it early in the morning when I can't sleep. And Judith, you were just talking a little bit of about different tips. And you've got some great tips for these early birds, you know, when we're up way before the sun comes up and way before anybody else. If, if you're up really early, give me a call and let's just talk and have a cup of tea. Right. right. I mean, it, it's just that, you know, for distance people, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, trave across the street in your robe, whatever. But that I think it it's just there. I, I just had news today. I mean, we knew it was coming. We kept waiting for it to come. Sure. Um, and all her friends knew that when when her husband passed, it would be almost like a thank God thing. It was a, it was a very horrible death going on. And but all I all I just reached out and I just said, my heart is with you. My heart is with you. I love you. Um, call me. I'll, you know, because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pound you with calls. Right. Just right. when you're ready, when you're ready to open up, call me. Um, but I, 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 I always find it's not difficult, but people have a really hard time with death. Yes. Uh, I mean, I don't think, I don't think America handles death very well. No, we don't. We want to get it over quickly. We want to pretend yeah. it didn't happen. We want to cover it up. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah. 
one of the things, Judith, because, you know, I was a single mom. So my mom was everything to me. She was like the co-parent, you know, she, she cared for my children, you know, while I was working, you know, so she was an active, more active than you would imagine for a typical 30 somethings parent, you know, she was my everything when my kids were small. And one of the things that one of my friends did that I thought that I always like to share on these shows, because it was such a great offer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she said, called me up and she said, how are you doing today? And a typical answer. I'm like, well, I'm okay. You know, I'm fine. You know, what else mm-hmm. do you say? Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't want to be that person always emoting. Oh yeah. Said, you have any laundry to do? Well, I had little kids and I'm on my own. Of course I had laundry. Of course you always at what? She says, how about if I come over and we do it together? Love it. And I was like, she did. She, you know, I had a mountain of laundry. We put it in together. We talked, we had tea in between, like it was a visit, but it wasn't the pressure of a visit of how are you doing? How are you holding up? Mm-hmm. Because at mm-hmm. some point you're like, stop asking me that. Like, I don't want to mm-hmm. hear that, but to say, mm-hmm. to come over and say, Hey, how about we do some laundry together? I'll come over. We'll fold and talk. Yep. Or, you know, that reminds me, since, since my refrigerator died this week, and, <laughs> and I will have a new one today, <laughs> to everybody, you know, what woman doesn't need to, ref, you know, clean a refrigerator? That kind of question would say, hey, you know, do you have a ref, is your refrigerator running? Not the old joke, well, you better right. go out. Okay. <laughs> As the kids used to do. But literally, well, how about I'll come over and let's clean it together and we'll just get Right. We'll clean together and talk. Like that is so cathartic for women. That was one of the best gifts anybody ever gave me. Absolutely. I had someone, Sandy, say to me that, you know, well, you know, you wouldn't be crying if you really believed in God because you know Frank would be happier. That right. I mean, I hate that. Or like, you know, when they say, you know, you should be happy, he's in a better place, or they would say that to my mom. Go away. And there was like great peace. Like my mom, you know, towards the final days, she would talk great about her faith. She knew she was going to her mother and her uncle Nick and Mm -hmm. her father. And she she had had visits from people, you know, in her her last days, meaning, you know, she would Mm -hmm. see people or sometimes she'd sleep and go look like she was dead in the bed and then wake up and tell me, you know, like kind of where she was. So she had great peace. But one of the things I felt really guilty about when you have these long term, you know, my mother was sick for five years. So cancer was a part of every day, every Mm -hmm. morning. And then towards the end, I would get up every day with this dread going is today the day is Mm -hmm. today the day and um you know, when you live like that for a long period of time, mm-hmm. somebody told me this, and I was really glad they did that. It's natural. The day my mom passed, it was a Sunday and I was, I had already cried out up until that point, And I was ashamed at the time because I felt such relief and mm. that's normal because it wasn't like I wanted my mom to die. I was relieved that she wasn't suffering anymore but also that I wasn't suffering anymore, Mm -hmm. you know, and these are very human, real emotions that we don't ever talk about. Nobody talks about after a long illness, how you can Mm -hmm. feel grief and relief. Mm -hmm. Let me, let me share with you when I, um, with our listeners, viewers that um, I I have died before. And I, I mean, I have quite a roller coaster life and that, when I, I was 30 and, um, and I remember 
going out of my body. I remember watching all the dog very clearly, like Casper the Goat. I used to watch Casper the Ghost <laughs> as cartoons when I was a kid. So coming out of my body, literally floating above uh, the table where I laid and the doctors all trying to work on me and doing things and just watching what was going on. And during that time, um, I felt so safe. Mm-hmm. I was so warm. I mean, warm, snuggly winter uh, underneath the covers. Yep. Cozy. Um, I had absolutely no pain. And the pain I was in was unbelievably excruciating. I had no pain. I was safe. And if I had continued on, um, I would be okay. Mm-hmm. And, and then I came back. And that when Frank died, um, I knew I felt, I believed that he experienced the same kind of thing that I did. And so therefore that part of that grieving, the, the, you know, the pain and the, that agony part um, wasn't part of what I experienced at all because I'd been there. I'd been there and I'd done that. Right. And, um, and he would be okay. Be okay. But he kept coming back to visit me during the year after his death. And I'm what the heck, kid? <laughs> but I think, you know, what you're talking about, you know, for these near-death experiences, I've done, I've done probably 30 shows, Judith, on my Power mm-hmm. show about NDEs and have brought in people from all over the world to talk about them because I hemorrhaged with my first child. And mm-hmm. then when I, when I woke up after having my first child, you know, I talked to the nurses and I'm like, well, he was over on this table. I was here doing all this. She's like, how could you see that? You were out, you were draped, you were tubed. And I'm like, oh no, yeah. you know, I could tell you all the things. And, you know, mm-hmm. at the time, you know, this was, was whatever, 16 years ago, there was a mm-hmm. little bit of like, oh, well, you must've heard it. Maybe you weren't under all the way. And I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, no. So I started doing research. I started interviewing mm-hmm. people and talking about to find out how common these things are but the one thing that I noticed from my experience and I'm curious to find out if you had this too I went in having a belief in afterlife a belief in something bigger greater than myself whatever that looked like but Mm -hmm. I came out knowing and I came out knowing with such peace that there is like there, this is just part of the journey. Like this isn't the mm-hmm. end, like death isn't the end. And it, mm-hmm. it kind of changed my life forever because I was very much a type A, go, 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 get it done. Hurry, hurry, hurry personality, you know, kind of type person before my NDE. Then after I started to see things differently, I connected with animals and, and the, the universe mm-hmm. and the earth differently. Like I felt different but I also felt that there was no urgency like yes there's deadlines things have to get done you got to get your teeth clean like you know I get those things you know but (laughs) but that urgency of like oh my gosh I better get this before like life is over before these things change you realize that it's just this constant evolution of growth and it's a very peaceful I became a much more peaceful person how about you Mm-hmm. Me too. I um and and I like this growth thing. And even even this last year, I had another near death uh, deal. Um, but I just you know I I knew I was going to come out of it. I knew okay, I'm coming back. We're going to do this, and n- no one had any idea how bad it was. You know, four months ago, mm-hmm. no one had any idea 
um, where it goes. And it's just, you know, when I, when I came to the, the all I could remember the doctor saying, you, your lung is very damaged. Your lung is very damaged. Um, so, you know, and, and so actually when I just did the uh, paper edition of when God says no, I included that segment in it that, you know, you just, and life goes on. I mean, to me, life just goes on. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it is, I absolutely believe in you live one day at a time. Um, that one of the things that, that Frank, that those gifts I talked about, you alluded to earlier was really, you know, the whole thing of, of you, of, of knowing who in the heck I am yes. and, and really, really being true to yourself. So you can stay on whatever that journey is as true as you can. Yep. And then, and then the other thing is just the whole spirituality and getting back in touch, um, and, and you've heard me say this so many times, I am willing to work really hard. You work really hard. Sure, we both do. But we have to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> I have to have fun along the way. Yeah. And, and, then, and I think that they, they, the other factor is that those of us who go through these experiences, anyone who's going through loss or adversity and recognizing that that has a different definition for everyone, it's not always mm -hmm. death. It's, it's sometimes it's just such a dramatic change. It just threw you for whammy uh, on that, that your resiliency factor, you, you become so resilient. You, that factor just comes up and you, you know, it's one step ahead at a time each day. That's the way I look at it. Well, one of my favorite stories to tell Judith is when my kids were maybe two and four and I was up with one of them had an earache, you know, and you know, those nights with, with a toddler, with an earache, nobody's sleeping. Oh, no. oh, yeah. so, and my kids were like dueling banjos because they were in the same room. So one would cry, wake the other one up, you know, yeah. like, yeah. and so I brought both of them into my big king size bed and here I am a single mom and I put the TV on and, you know, I'm holding one on each arm, you know, how you sit with them and you snuggle up and you watch, you know, I'm trying to stay awake watching TV and, you know, this television show for kids comes on, it's uh, Lego Ninjago and it's, you know, these little ninja Lego figurines that kick each other and, you know, save the world, but all in a very, you know, four-year-old way. And this little guy, Sensei Wu comes out and he's got his hat on and he's, you know, clearly, you know, some sort of Asian character. And he comes over to the little Lego figurines and he's like, what can you do today to get to where you want to be? And I'm like, I like stopped the recording. You know, I flipped it back. Like I must've watched that. The kids are like, mom, enough. And I'm like, the TV's speaking to me. And, you know, I'm sure it was the middle of the night, you know, a lack of sleep with moms, but it came across so loud to me, Judith. I still have the post-it up here on my wall. I can show it to you. And it's, you know, ratty and old, but, it's what can I do today to get me to where I want to be? I love and that. It was so simple, just a throwaway line from a children's show that has guided me every day. Because when you're grieving, when you're traumatized, when you're fearful, when you're despairing, you don't even know where to begin because it's so overwhelming. So I go back to my little post-it, my little Lego Ninjago thing of what can I do today to get me to where I want to be? Now, what that looked like, Judith, some days it was get out of bed, take a shower, feed your children, and maybe take your journal and write a page. 
You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like there wasn't, it wasn't like today where it's like, oh, we're going to do five, you know, radio recordings back to back and we're going to walk in the park and, you know, take the kids to swim practice. Like that's what I can do today. But some days, you know, especially with my current, you know, chemotherapy and my treatments, you know, what can I do to, today to get to where I want to be? It's read the email, see if there's any urgent fires. And that's mm-hmm. enough for the day. And I think that was the mm-hmm. compassion that I learned from myself. Cause when I, when I went out of my body and I looked at my little son on one table and me on the other, mm-hmm. you know, he was born at 30, whatever, 30, almost 31 weeks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was there and I could see everything and I'm like, wow, I'm so little. Like, you know what I mean? Like in comparison to this, like operating room with these two tables Mm -hmm. and like, he's so little and I'm looking down and Mm -hmm. there's all these people rushing around Mm -hmm. and doing things. And then my kid peed and everybody like was like, yay, he peed over on the other table. And, you know, I'm, (laughs) I'm watching all this happen, but I realized like how tiny I was in the grand scheme of all of these people, they would all go home to their families, you know, and when I would look at the things in my life that seemed so monumental, mm-hmm. I had to check myself at the door and go, okay, are you making this bigger than it is? Is this, mm-hmm. you know, what are you doing? Like, you know, is this what you're supposed to do today? Mm-hmm. We just make this horrible, awful situation, you know, and you said it yourself, you're like, you know, where do you, how do you make this in your life? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, um, that, well, I, I have a, I, I, I won't say it on the air, but I refer to it, but, but <laughs> I have a, a thing I refer to when, when it's so minuscule, let's get the, you know, let's get things into perspective when you've got someone going ballistic on you sure. or you're going ballistic on yourself, come on, let's step back. How, where is this on the scale? Like really the grand scale of where you can go. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that all of us need to do that. So I, I actually wrote down what you said. I love that. Isn't it? It is great. And I'm all already thinking, you know what? I can make a whole bunch of posters That's right. Right. with variables of that because they, I'm dealing with, with my work hat on where I'm dealing with author overwhelm all the time. Sure. Where these authors, whether they're writing, they're trying to get to this next stage where they're doing book marketing. There's, I've got to do this. I got to do that. That it's really, okay, what, what little thing can I do? Maybe, maybe it's just, I sit down and have lunch. Maybe that's what it is. Sure. And that's what, that's what's okay. Right. That's okay. Well, it's like, look at us. We wouldn't be such good friends today if I, you hadn't forgiven my behavior and I hadn't forgiven myself. <laughs> you know, I met you at one of the lowest points of my life. You know, I was yeah, I going good. through divorce. I was going through court, getting sued by my ex-husband. My mother had just died and I was t- taking my father. It was the first month my father was living with me, you know, so we have an, you know, eight to 80 household and, you know, a common friend of ours says, you know, you should talk to her about whatever. And I didn't want to do it. And I should have said, no, I wasn't in the right frame of mind. And I was a little witch and I was awful. And I don't even know why I did that call with the exception of it had to teach me, Judith, that I was human 
and that I should say no to things, you know, because saying no to things means saying yes to something else. And what I should have done that day is say yes to a good cry rather than struggling through an agreement I made to a common friend of someone else. Yeah. This call. And, you know, but yet you were gracious. You were awesome. We came back together, what, a couple of years later or a year later. I don't remember what it was. We came back one more time. Let's try one more time again. And you met a completely different person. I did. But, you know, I I have I have two things that I I embed with everyone. I mean, I wrote a little book called Snappy, Sassy, Salty, Wise Words for Authors and Writers for just little nuggets and stuff. One of those is which kind of goes along with what you said. You know, if you never say no, your yes has become worthless. And I think this is this is really actually for for all the women out here. We say yes too often. And a lot of times people say yes to get rid of people. And I, <laughs> I have done that. I have done that. Um, then it, it's just, and to, to check it off your list, okay, it's done. Versus it's not the right time to say yes. It needs to be pushed into another column. Um, come at. So if you never say no, your yes has become worthless. And the other one that I love is, oh, this I get in trouble with don't do well what you have no business doing right, that right. so many times i mean i i can do people think i'm superwoman i can do so many things but should i be doing them right. that that's where it goes back to the no no you shouldn't be doing this thing right you, you know you just shouldn't now you don't need someone else can do it right and, I have a little different, you know, it's a kind of the same thing, but a different little thing. I look at and go, what is my, like, everybody has money hours. We have only so many money hours in the day. Like for me right now, I have four to five money hours, which is days that, you know, hours in my day that I can seriously generate money. Mm -hmm. So when I look at my money hours, that can be anywhere from 300 to 5,000 for an hour. You know, if I close Mm -hmm. a deal in that, in that money hour. Mm -hmm. So when I look at doing the accounting, when I look at doing the bookkeeping, when I look at writing checks, I mean, I'll sign my checks, but I don't write them. When I look at making repairs on a website, that's not creative creative, that's not branding, mm-hmm. that's not the high concept stuff. I'm like, am I doing, am I doing $10 an hour work during yes. my money hours? Yes. And, and you know what? We all do that. We, we do. We all get sucked in um, to doing that. It could be maybe we're procrastinating a little bit because we know there's a different type of work that we have to put in, different kind of brain mode yep. or mm-hmm. whatever it is as you go into your money hours. And once you get into those, and I love the phrase money hours, I'm gonna have to remember that one too, <laughs> um, that, that when you're working on those, that it's really fun. But sometimes it, you know, it's kind of like a dog. If you ever watch a dog who's gonna mm-hmm. lay down, they keep going in circles and circles and circles before yep. they can flop. And I think that a lot of times we all, go through that circling, circling until we can plop, plop, right? Yeah. And, you know, when I, when I used to be a coffee drinker and I, and I would suck down an entire pot of coffee all by myself before I was ready to settle in and writing. That was, that was part of my circling. They get ready, you know, because I would go away. I'm a binge writer. When I go away, my goal is to come back with the entire draft of the book in a week. That's the goal. We're going to have it done. Um, but I have rituals 
and we all I think we all have rituals well, we do when I worked for Disney and CBS you know I was there you know I don't know five six years you know in total um one of the things I loved most, I know this sounds ridiculous because here I am with an MBA and a world-class education working at a top company. I loved when they said, can you go and make copies of these scripts? Because I would take, a, you know, like a Young and Restless or a Bold and Beautiful script. I put it in this machine that was the size of a car and it would go chung, 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 chung. It would make yeah. this rhythm yeah. kind of thing. And I would stand there sipping. I'm a tea drinker. So I'd be sipping my tea, watching it go chunk, chunk, chunk. And then the 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 script would come out at the end and then the thing would bore the holes in it. Like, you know, it had a, you know, before you put the little, you know, brass fasteners in them. And when those bore holes would come down, I swear to God, my blood pressure would come down. My everything would come down. And then the scripts would be this nice little neat, maybe 20 or 30 copies of the script. And it would maybe take me a half an hour in there. But I loved doing that because it gave me a brain break. Like when you talk about the circling dog, it allowed me to, you know, I had a very high stress job. So when Mm -hmm. I would like, somebody would say, we need these copies made. I'd be like, I'll take it. (laughs) And I would go down because I could be in the copy machine. Mm -hmm. room. Nobody else is there. Me and the machines, (laughs) the rhythm, you know, it's almost like a yoga meditation. It is. And then there's a sound, right? The sound. And then this wonderful sense of completion. Because so many, when we work in brain jobs or high power jobs, like you talk about going away and spending, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever time it is to to write that first draft and you Mm -hmm. just focus on that. Mm -hmm. I'm your kind of girl. I love to work that way. Mm -hmm. But the reality of a single mom kids, you know, running Mm -hmm. a company is I never get that. I have piecemeal things. Mm -hmm. So when you, you Mm -hmm. don't ever get that. Like when you leave your, your sabbatical to write and you come and you have that completed project, you can like, and that's what the copy machine gave me was a, a absolutely something in my life is completed. Exactly. I I, I know today um, when, uh, you know, when we finish, I have to go a mental underground because I have to put together a tire, an entire workbook mm. or a book marketing online course that I am doing in a few days. And I know I can do it. You know, I'm sitting, the thing is I've done it. I'm extracting, I'm adding, I'm rearranging it. Bobby came in today and he says, so are you done? And I said, I will be done tonight. Mm-hmm. You know, you will have it tonight. Um, and go away and, and he knows not to ask me anymore. Right. You know, but, but it's that, you know, you're kind of my, my candy. I, you get my, you're my, my mince ball, my chocolate mince ball. <laughs> and, I, and I, and just to settle in and then I'm already starting to think and here, here you've given me a line I'm going to be using. I love that. You know, because all of this stuff, you know, this is why we do this, Judith, you know, when, when you think of, you know, like, why do we podcast and, you know, we're not A-list celebrities that are on NBC, you know, Thursday night lineup, but all of these things, like the gift that I give to you was the gift that Ninjago gave to me and we pay it forward, we pass it on. And, you know, one of the things you gave to me today was the, I have a really hard time with the piecemeal life that I live. 
it's two hours here on this, two mm-hmm. hours here on that, an hour here, run to the soccer game, run to this. I know someday I'll miss it. Get over to the doctor, get your mammogram. Oh, now you need another mammogram, you know, kind of all these things. And there isn't a sense of peace. And when you said like, I'm going to go away and write, I'm like, all right, April, I'm carving out four days and I'm going to get some things done that I need to get done for me. Mm-hmm. I I actually did that in March. I mean, it's it's like I had my second COVID shot, you know, and I'm, you know, I had that and on the weekend and and um I rubbed my shoulder, I took my Tylenol and I'm doing my arm and flapping. Yeah, and and so, oh yeah, and I'm standing in line at, at a store and a guy turns around and said, Oh, you had your second job. And I said, I did. How'd you know? And he says, Well, I'm in the military. What you're doing is what we are all told to do. And then I'm coming away thinking, why don't they tell everybody that? Right. Why, why isn't there something in the manual that says when you have the second shot, there's more of a probability, there's a reaction. Here's some of the ways you might mitigate it a little bit. Right? So I've been telling everyone. But so, you know, I'm doing that. And then I, I was so excited. I went and bought an airplane ticket. Not a girl. And I am going down, you know, and, and I am craving sun. I'm craving warm weather. I live in Denver. And I'm going down to Arizona to be with my heart sisters for four days. And I have already said, you know, they know I'm the early bird of the group, um, that I'm carving out because I am going to be doing, starting that structure. I'm starting to think. I already know what the name of my next book is going to be. And I am thinking, okay, what elements do I want to start pulling in this? Um, as I put it together. So I think, I think all my books before I, then I can do that splurge. You know, when I go away, yeah. I've been thinking, 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 thinking um, yeah. in that process. Well, yeah. that's, you know, you you and I are very alike and I'm glad that you're explaining these things because, you know, every writer functions differently, but when you find yes. a writer that writes like you, it's very yeah. validating. You know, when I was in college, I took Plato's Republic and I, I would sit in the class. I didn't read any of it. I'm just, I just sat and listened <clears throat> and the, the people I was with are like, you're insane. You're not taking notes. You're not doing any of this stuff. And I'm like, no, I'm just kind of absorbing. I'm just thinking, Mm -hmm. I'm just processing. Mm -hmm. And then the night before the final exam, which was like a four hour written final, I read the book. Like, cause I had already like absorbed all these things from the lectures, from the things. And it was, you know, it was just my way of doing things. I'm not saying you should do it or anyone else should do it. So when I read Plato's Republic the night before the exam, and then I go in and then I write the exam, I had been noodling about this for a whole quarter. So that when I went in to take the exam, you know, did I get an A plus? Absolutely. It's not because I'm some, you know, great brain. I honored the way my brain and body works. Mm -hmm. You know what? I call that sponge learning and that I I am also, I just absorb, let me just absorb it. And then I'll, I'll go in and get into it to do that final. So you did that final reading. It was all very familiar and you went through it. And I think the, the takeaway for everyone listening in here and watching is, is this, is that just because someone does it this way doesn't mean you have to do it that way. And I hear so many writing coaches and these people saying, no, you got to get up at four o'clock every morning and write for three hours before the kids get up and you feed them and they go to school or they have, or you got to write. Number one, I get up at four in the morning because that's when my body says, let's get up. 
a good time. No one's going to call you. And, and now my, and several of my clients have figured out she can talk at 5.30 in the morning. Oh, no. Um, but that the, the reality is that you need to do what your body yes. brain is telling you you can do and not what other people. And if your rhythm, we all have our own rhythms. If your rhythm is not riding for four hours straight at, at eight in the evening till midnight, um, I, I'm not functional so much, Sandy, during those times. I, I mean, I, my creativity is now, I, I'm high creative in the mornings and during these daylight hours. I am not real creative late at night. That's when I want to kind of blitz out and, and absorb and do sponge stuff because I get ideas from TV and watching other stuff too. See, I love that. See, and I'm the exact opposite since I have young children, you know, and they're up, you know, and they're up like now with school starting at, you know, 7am in the morning, the online school, you know, I have to get everybody's up by six o'clock, like our mornings are chaos. Then, you know, I have my work day to go through, then I usually will take a nap, like four or five o'clock, make dinner at six, and then sometimes take another nap, then I'm up at like nine o'clock at night. And I'll write till two, three in the morning. Now, that is never been my rhythm but your seasons of your life also have to be honored you know for your rhythm and so you know what I did in college you know which was constant all-nighters you know right in my 20s I wrote for a couple different mass market publishing romance companies and I would literally start on a Thursday and by Sunday have a complete full draft and I would have skittles and I'd have my Fritos and you know all all these things and oh, I wouldn't leave, exactly. I wouldn't leave my area except to eliminate. Yeah. 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 But I can't do that anymore. My, my, my lifestyle, my season yeah. of this life isn't that way. So I love what you said about honoring your rhythms. I, I have to, you have to honor your rhythms. And by the way, I, I have written entire books with M&Ms. <laughs> I have done that. I have written entire books with Cheetos. Um, and my entire keyboard is orange. I love I, that. I, and I can look at you and say, you're beautiful, you're fit, you're gorgeous. So you're not like 900 pounds, you know, from eating all this stuff. But you know what, no. Judith, it's the top of the hour. I need to thank you. Uh, <laughs> Judith Bryles, the bookshelf shepherd, you can check her out. Just Google her name. Lots yep. of great material. You've got videos, you've got audios, you've got courses. You've I got do. Courses, I do. Books. Go to Goodreads, go to Amazon. You're everywhere. I, I, and we have a wonderful podcast. You can listen in and get Sage Advice, advice on author you, your guide to book publishing. And and can I show the picture of the book yes. that we were talking about? So there this you is go. what we have. This when is God says book. no. Yep. And and I'm so thrilled. It's won 12 uh, National Book Awards this past year, um, and including for best cover, which I was, that was my designer was so excited. So excited. <laughs> All right. Well, Judith Bryles, thank you for being my guest today. We'll be back next week with another great episode. From New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up Talk Radio is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they'd always dreamed of. Each week, Powered Up Talk Radio explores innovative ways to stay focused in a world that's experiencing dramatic changes. Find out who you are, discover your purpose, and challenge yourself to be all you can be. 